You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. If you would, take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we pick up in verse 16. So if you would, stand as we honor the reading of Scripture together. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because the wind was blowing. When they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near their boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And as we uh, approach your word, I, I pray that, that you would guide us, that your spirit would just make it, would open it up, that we would see truth. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be receptive and open to what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our life to mold and, and shape us into the people that you would have us be. You would conform us to the image of your son. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to, to help us to see the, the gospel more clearly. Lord, the, the need that we have for Jesus Christ to reach out and to save us. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish this and so much more. Lord, I, we pray for, for Glenda. We want to, to lift her up to you and in the work that she does with CEF, children. Lord, there's a, a lot of things on her plate, a lot of things going on in the state. Lord, and we pray that you would just put your hand upon her, that you would bless her and the work that she does in a very special way. Lord, we pray that you would use her in the life of young people. And we pray that you would be glorified through the ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last time, <clears throat> we noticed that, that Jesus fed a, a multitude of people, perhaps as many as 20,000 people, when you include women and children. <clears throat> And after this event, the Jews, they came, they wanted to make him king. Remember this? They wanted to take him by force and, and make him king. Well, Jesus realized this. He departed. And before he, he left, he sent the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee by boat. Jesus then takes off to a nearby mountain and begins to pray. We read that Jesus then joins the disciples, but he does in a very interesting way. He walks to them when they were out in the water, but we'll get to that later. But for now, let's just keep going and skip ahead a little bit. The next day, it looked like Jesus' plan had worked. There was a sea between 
Jesus and the disciples and the multitudes. But as it turns out, the multitudes have boats as well. And before long, the people started to reach the other side. And they start to ask Jesus how he got there. Right? They saw the disciples leave. They saw Jesus head up to a mountain. And now they get over there and Jesus is there. It's important to realize that the multitudes liked the bread that Jesus gave them. They got their fill. They liked the fact that Jesus provided for their material needs. They saw the potential of what Jesus could do if they brought him into their purpose, especially when it came to the occupation of Rome. In verse 26, we read this. I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because of the, you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. They followed him to see what they could get. They wanted him to meet their physical wants. But they really needed a spiritual redeemer, one that would save them from their sins. Of course, Jesus didn't deny that he was able to bless people materially. And this is what is called uh, the, the bread of life discourse. Jesus explains that he was the Savior that could give them spiritual gifts that were unimaginable. And the question is, is how did the people respond to Jesus' message? Well, in verses 66 and 67, we read this. After, many of his, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Now, humanly speaking, because Jesus' words here are very strong, and there was a possibility that Jesus could lose all of his disciples. That was real. But Peter, right, leave it to Peter to speak up on behalf of the, the twelve. He says this in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the question is, why did Peter respond that way when all of these other people were deserting Jesus? The crowds, right? I mean, these crowds are taking this serious. They're following him from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They're, they're coming to him. So why did Peter respond to this when all these other people are leaving? Well, the answer to that question, I believe, is found in the events of the preceding night when Peter and the rest of the twelve were struggling to sail across the Sea of Galilee. I want you to look, listen to how Mark puts it. We're going to go back and forth to all the different uh, gospel accounts of this because it's, it's so rich and it adds uh, so much to the, the narrative. But I want you to listen to how Mark puts it. He says, it's in Mark chapter 6, by the way, if you want to look at it. He says, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So it is between three and six in the morning. And I love how Mark puts this. They were making headway. I mean, they were going in the right direction, but it was painful to watch. It was painful to watch because the, the wind was blowing against them. It goes without saying, the disciples are discouraged. 
And Jesus then takes and, and meets them and ministers to them. I would suggest this experience made a great difference in Peter's life. And I, and I want to take some time here and, and just draw that out into to why I think that. Now, when we think about uh, the event itself here, it is important that we get the event right, right from the very beginning. There have been many uh, very interesting but very false ways that people have understood this miracle or have the way people have explained it away. One theory, a serious theory, says, well, actually there were stones on the water. Really, this took place not that far offshore. There were stones, and Jesus walked on stones out to the boat and then got in the boat. If we're honest, we would say, well, that's pretty dumb. That's a pretty dumb interpretation. In Matthew 14, 24, it tells us that by this time, the boat was a long way from land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. A long way from land. And to make matters worse for that interpretation, Peter starts to walk out on the water to meet Jesus, but then sinks and has to ask Jesus to save him. I don't think they were close to shore. I don't think Jesus was walking on rocks. Another theory takes the word uh, translated on in Mark uh, four, or in Matthew 14:25 and John 16:19 takes that word on and translated as around. So uh, they claim, well, Jesus didn't walk on the water, on the lake, he walked around the lake. Again, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. And, and when you take the rest of the story and how it's worded, I mean, he walked around the lake and Peter sank into what? I mean, it just doesn't, it is, it doesn't, it's uncomprehendable, but yet that's how serious people who are trying to, to take the Bible and what they say serious uh, explain this. It is obvious, it is obvious in what is presented in the Gospels here is a miracle. It's to be understood as a, a sign. Jesus intended it to, 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 to teach great spiritual truths and a spiritual reality, which it did at the time and it continues to do today as we continue to, to think about and contemplate what is happening here on the Sea of Galilee in those very early morning hours. I want to remind you of what we said about the fact that John refers to, to miracles as signs. When he, he speaks of a sign, it's something that, that points to something else. It's a, a spiritual reality. I gave the illustration a few weeks ago about the sign to a picnic area, right? The sign isn't the picnic area. It's a sign pointing to the picnic area. You don't have a picnic at the sign. You have it at the picnic area. It points to a, a spiritual reality, and that's what is happening here. This is a, a sign that Jesus is, is doing. Now, at the onset, I want you to see that the setting of the miracle, and in, 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 we see that in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We read this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowds. He went up on the mountain himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus was tired. He wanted to be alone. He wanted to spend time in prayer. And it's been pointed out here that in the scriptures, often mountains are used as symbols of a place of authority. So the picture here is our Lord Jesus 
praying in a place of authority high up while his disciples are struggling on the mission that he gave them. And it's a powerful picture of those who faithfully follow the Lord Jesus and how he is up in a high place and he is interceding for us while we are on his mission. Well, the storms of life beat against us and it seems like we are painfully making headway at times. All the while, he is right there praying for us, interceding on our behalf. But even more, he is actually with us in the midst of it, walking out to us in the difficulties of life. Just to back up and kind of get that bird's eye view. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of the Christian life, isn't it? His people out on mission that he sends them to and he's there praying for them and then he meets them in the midst of their difficulty. Now we must make it clear that this story is about faith from start to finish. When you read Matthew's account of the story, there is some interesting, uh, there's something interesting. We, we said uh, that he made the disciples get into the boat. If, if you notice that, when we read it before, it's strange language. He made them. The, the word made could be translated. He compelled them. I, I think you get the point here in, in what happened. The picture is the disciples were not really excited to go to the other side, but Jesus, he persuaded them to go. He compelled them. He perhaps even gave them a shove to get going. That's the, that's the picture. It, the point is clear. It was Jesus' idea that they go to the other side, he deliberately sent them to the other side. He compelled them. He said, you must go to the other side. And they went. The 12 disciples were on their way. The boat was a long way from land, several miles from shore. It's how most would understand this. And a great storm arises. The boat is being buffeted or literally the boat is being tormented by the sea. That's the idea. The fact is the scriptures are pretty graphic in their explanation. The wind is, is beating against them. They're, they're sailing straight into the wind. They're fighting against it. It's painful to watch. It, was, it wasn't just a, a little hassle. It was a terrifying experience. One preacher described it like this. Peter, no doubt, took command, and I'm sure that he did. And, and you can see him there holding the tiller with his stalwart arm. And his beard is anointed with the foam of the sea. And as in a, a story on tones, he commands the disciples to trim the ship, to lower the sails, to take on the oars. Where all were calm or just a little while ago, now it in turmoil and confusion. The tempest rages over the lake. The, the ship tosses like a cork up and down on the great waves. The white foam of the, the great rollers gleams in the blackness of the night like the teeth of some monster in the sea. I mean, that preacher obviously took a little liberty in describing the situation, but one thing is for certain here, the sailors were in trouble. I heard of one being on a 12-foot boat in the Pacific Ocean and the waves were so big that they couldn't see over the top of them. When they were on the top of a wave, they could see still taller waves coming and they said the only way to describe the experience was it was terrifying. And it must have been uh, terrifying for these disciples as well 
so you, you might see where I'm, I'm going with this. The disciples are in, in trouble because the Lord compelled them to go. This is exactly where the Lord wanted them. Uh, you can't miss that in reading this. The Lord compelled them to go. He said, go this way, and they went. To put it differently, their lives would not have been in danger if they were not compelled to go that way. Or, to say it differently, yet, if they would have disobeyed the Lord Jesus, their lives would not have been in danger. It is because they were obedient to Christ that their lives were in jeopardy. I read a story of a couple of young guys that wanted to sail from one end of Newport Bay to the other side. And they had a, a sailboat. They'd never sailed before. It, it was like a, a surfboard with a sail, kind of. And they, they managed to get it all ready. They managed to, to set up the boat, to sail. They pointed it in the way they, they needed to go. It was right into the wind. They said it, it took them four hours to go a quarter of a mile. In that time, they, they capsized the boat eight times. But when they turned around, it took them five minutes to get back where they started. The disciples obeyed the Lord. In this, they were in trouble because they had pointed their boat into the wind. They pointed their boat into the wind because that's the way Jesus told them to point the boat. He knew this would be the case. And he was essentially saying that those who follow Jesus as their Lord and their Savior who are essentially going to be sailing their ship into the contrary winds of life. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that everything will be easy. There will be trouble, but we are to obey anyway. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to the disciples? When he compels them to go? Isn't he saying, it's, it's going to be hard, but I want you to go. I want you to obey. I got something I want to teach you. I'm going to be doing something. I love how Kent Hughes says it here. He says, he makes a note that there's two ways that Christians get themselves into storms in life. One way is to flee from God's will, like Jonah did. So if you were thinking earlier when I said, they should have just disobeyed God. They could have got out of this. I mean, why not? Why not just say, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. Run from the will of God. Eh, didn't work out so well for Jonah. The disciples were not in the storm because they were rebelling, but because they were obedient. Those who follow Jesus and give him their allegiance will face strong headwinds in life. Think of Daniel. He would have never had to face the lion's den if he would not have been obedient. His friends wouldn't have had to face the fiery furnace if they were disobedient. Just think about the lives of the apostles, for instance. Paul, the persecution that he could have avoided if he would have just stayed home. They might have avoided that. But at the same time, they would have never known the Spirit of God flowing through their lives in the midst of all of this either. Following Christ takes us into some great storms, but there is also great reward in following Jesus that you never could have known otherwise. In the midst of all the persecution that Paul faced, for instance, he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever I gain... 
I had counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, no mean, but by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Count everything lost to know Christ. And Paul's testimony isn't the only one. I mean, I've never met a Christian that in the end said that following Christ was just not worth it. They might in the moment, but never in the end when they look back on all of it, when they consider the storms of life and the blessing of Christ in the midst of those storms, they say, you know what? It was worth it. I wouldn't want to do it again, but it was worth it. So the disciples are in the midst of a, a serious storm. I'm sure they were wondering if they would make it to their destination. The storm wasn't letting up. I wonder if in that moment, though, they, they thought that Jesus had forgotten them. I mean, what did they think about God in that moment? As they're faithfully, uh, painfully going through these, and, and they're just in these headwinds, and the waves are, are mounting up, and, and they're going down. What are they asking God? What are they saying? Are they wondering if he cared? Why would Jesus tell us to do this if we're just going to, if he's just going to kill us for our trouble? But the fact is, Jesus hadn't forgotten them. That, that is very clear in the story. Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, we read this. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Did you catch it? Jesus saw them. He saw that. He saw they were in trouble. We know about what time this was. It was in the early morning of the hour. It was early morning. Jesus could have seen them because of the lightning flashes in the sky, perhaps, or this is a, a reference to Jesus' omniscience. Whatever the case, Jesus knew their situation. We would be remiss at this point if we didn't just pause here for a second and think about the world that we find ourselves in, especially in this, this past couple years. For many, it might seem as if we've been forgotten. They were in the middle of a raging sea, so to speak. And when we're in the midst of the storm, it's easy to think that God has forgotten us or that he doesn't care. But just as the, the plight of the disciples didn't escape the watch of the Lord Jesus, you can be sure that whatever you're going through does not escape his watch either. But even more than that, he doesn't just see, but he actually comes to their aid. And he comes to our aid just as he did the disciples. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. I mean, you, you read through this, it's almost as if the psalmist read the passage that we were reading and he commented on it. 
Don't worry. He's, he's with you. He didn't leave you alone. Wherever you go, the Lord is there. He knows the details of every situation that you find yourself in. Whatever the storm, no matter how strong the headwinds seem, if it's a light storm or extremely a dark place, he is there. He hasn't forgotten. He's there watching and he will be able to get you through it all. Just to make this point, he, he knows when an insignificant bird, like a sparrow, dies. And he cares about that. He certainly cares about us and what we're going through. Now we should say something about this story that you might have already noticed as we've been reading through it. And that is that Jesus saw the disciples were facing this storm. Of course, he, he knew it. He knew it was happening, but still he delayed. He, he delayed a little in, in coming to them. If he knew the storm was going to happen, why didn't he just go to them right away? Or why didn't he, why did he wait till he was watching them in the middle of the night, painfully making their way? You, you see what I'm saying? He knew their thoughts. He knew they were wondering where he was. He knew that they knew that he told them to go that he was allowing them to battle this storm for a while. And the question is, is why didn't he go there right away? Why didn't he ride with them? Well, we can't answer that for sure. Of course, he had a reason, but there is another story in just a few chapters. And in chapter 11, the Lord delays there as well. This is the story of Lazarus. Remember, Mary and Martha send for Jesus, but he delays. And what happened? Lazarus dies. Jesus came, he, he wept, and then he raises Lazarus to life. Why? Well, perhaps Jesus wanted these that were going through this trial to fully rely on him, to learn to trust him in the midst of the trial. It isn't always clear why God chooses to act a certain way or why he doesn't act when and how we, he th we think he should, but it is always clear that he will never abandon his own. His care and concern for his children is never a question. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 25, there's, there's something else here that's very interesting. We should learn, we learn it was the, the fourth watch of the night, three to six in the morning, and Jesus goes out on the lake walking to them. Now it's implied here that Jesus went out to the disciples, that as he went out to the disciples, he took the same path they did. I think that's very interesting. He went down the mountain. He went to the point on the shore that the boat left from or closely close to it. And he, he walked out to them. I mean, what other route would he take? I mean, he was basically at their starting point. He just went up on a mountain. He went down from the mountain and he walked out to them. It's actually very encouraging when you think about it. That Jesus, when he took on flesh, when the incarnation, when he became human, he took on what it meant to be human. And he went through difficulties too. He understands what it is to face hard times. He too went through storms. The author of Hebrews says it this way, we don't have a high priest that does not sympathize with us in our weakness. He knows what it is to be human. He's walked the same way we walk. And when we're in the, the midst of a great trial, he knows what we're facing. He 
he's experienced what the disciples experienced. He felt what they felt. Notice also when he came to the disciples, this was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., This is the darkest part of the night. The disciples were tired and they were miserable. They must have been utterly exhausted, wondering if they were going to survive the ordeal. And it was then that the Lord Jesus comes to them walking on water. Isn't it always in in difficult times, the storms of life that that come, we come to know Christ in a more intimate way. I love what Job says at the end of it all. He says in chapter 42, verse 5, he says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. The fact is, it is Christ that comes to us in the midst of a storm. You see, Jesus could have stopped the storm from the mountain. He could have stood up, spoke to it. But disciples wouldn't have been able to say with Job, but now my eyes have seen you. I would guess that many in this room have gone through great storms and well, they never want to experience those things again. At the same time, they will eagerly say the same thing with Job. I've heard, I've heard about you. I've, I've heard that you've done these things. I've heard that you've walked, through, I've heard that you've met people in trial. I've heard, I've heard about it. But now my eyes have seen it. I've heard that you've comforted the downcast. I, I heard that you meet people in the midst of trial. I, I heard that you cared. I heard that you don't forget. But now I see it. And if it wasn't for this great storm, I wouldn't have experienced it firsthand. And that experience has changed me. I know it's true. A number of you have shared these things with me. That there's something else that we need to talk about in this passage. So far, we focus on, on Christ. But when Christ came to meet them in the midst of the trial, and they saw him, what happened? When the disciples saw Jesus coming out to, to meet them, They were afraid. They thought it was a ghost. I don't know why they went immediately their minds go to ghosts. Apparently there were ghost stories back then too. Uh, The fact is the human heart can't be trusted. But what they saw was Christ. It, It was understandable in the moment the disciples were afraid. We shouldn't fault them for that. It was dark. It was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) That's how ghost stories start, right? Seriously, though, often when Christ comes to help, our natural response is to push him away. This is why we're reminded over and over and over again in the scriptures of his faithfulness, of his continued mercy, because we have the propensity to push him away. We have the propensity to forget. Even when we know that he's there to help, I would suggest that often Christ sends help in the form that we don't expect, like somebody walking on water wasn't expected to help the disciples. Often for us, help comes in a form we don't understand, so we reject it. So the disciples are afraid, and Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The disciples Their whole demeanor at that point changes in an instant. We know this because Peter saw Jesus. He steps out on the water to walk toward him. One commentator said, this is what faith does. We often badmouth Peter here, but how many of us have ever stepped out of the side of the boat and walked on water to get to Jesus? None, I would suspect. Peter 
walked on water because of his faith. He sank because he took his eyes off Jesus. It almost seems like we should stop there, that that's enough application. He walked on water because of his faith. He sank because he took his eyes off Jesus. Therefore, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's simple, but it's true. There's something else we shouldn't miss. Peter didn't just sink. That's not the end. He had been around Jesus long enough that in his distress, he did the only thing that he knew to do. He cried out, Lord Jesus, save me. And Jesus walked with Peter back to the boat. So when the two got to the boat, the wind dies down. And I would suggest this is when things started to make sense to Peter. When Jesus fed the multitudes of people the day before, the people wanted to make him king, their savior from the oppression of Rome. They wanted to use him. The fact is, and Peter realized this, that Jesus was king over the material world. He was the king. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. So later, when everybody starts leaving Jesus, and he turns to the 12 and he asks, are you going to leave too? And Peter pipes up and says, where else would we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. I love that. For Peter, Jesus is the king of the world who saved him. Jesus saved him. He walked on water to come out and save him. To save him from the storm. But not only that, he saved him from sinking into the water. Jesus was Peter's savior. And for those who truly recognize Jesus as the master of this world, the sovereign ruler of the world, the king of all kings, where else would we go? It is in him we find salvation. It is only in him. And in verse 33, in Matthew 14, we read this. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, couple this with how John ends the story in verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, I don't know if it just seemed like they were there instantly or this was part of the the miracle, but what I do know is that when they got in the boat, the disciples worshiped. I would suggest that before they even realized it, they were at the shore because their focus shifted. You know, before they were so concerned with the waves and the boat and the wind, they were so concerned, are we ever going to get to shore? Those were the questions that preoccupied their mind. Now, those things were a non-issue. Their devotion, their complete focus was on Jesus Christ and worship. And before they knew it, they were at the shore. They weren't thinking about the storm anymore. The storm was gone. They were thinking about the object of their worship. What a beautiful picture it is of those who are devoted to Jesus Christ. There's a constant attention in the Christian life to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He isn't a means to an end. But this is how countless people that call themselves Christians treat him. He's just a means to an end. 
We pray a prayer and then we just go on with our lives. He's fire insurance. We ask him to, to save us once. We just do that thing and then we just go on. And that's that. Here we see that faith in Jesus Christ is to constantly look at Christ, to focus on him, to worship him as the king of all creation, to focus our attention on him, to allow him to lead, to allow him to, to deal with the storms in our life, to allow him to walk us through, to not be so caught up on what is going around us that we forget that he is the master of the world. He is the savior. He's the one that saves us. So being a follower of Jesus Christ brings us into storms. Christians feel the winds of life blow against them. It's a sure thing. But we know that the Lord Jesus knows, he cares. I don't know where everybody is this morning. Some of us, right, we know that we are going through some storms. Some have, uh, some have just coming through a, a great storm. Some are in the midst of storms. Some of us know nothing about the storm that will soon be upon us, that we'll be in the midst of. In all of these situations, there's great comfort here knowing that Jesus sees it all. He's interceding on our behalf right now. He knows, he cares, he's there to help. Just as he was on the way to help the disciples before they even realized it. The same is true for us. But in all of this, as we end, don't miss the point that Peter cried out to Jesus to save him. The fact is the storms of life swallow many people because they don't ask for Jesus to save them. It's the parable of the soils. It springs up, faith springs up, but then when the, the cares of this world, the storm of life springs up, they just, they wither away or in this story, they sink. They don't ask Jesus to save them. And to loosely quote John Bunyan, they sink deeper than the grave. They sink to hell because hell burns with fire and brimstone. This portion of John's gospel reminds us that Jesus is the true savior. We can't, we can't manage our own destiny. We try to manage our own destiny, we sink. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, is he's right there to save if we cry out to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life-giving. Lord, and I pray that this text might be a great encouragement to those who are facing difficult times. Lord, I pray that you might use it to, to prepare us for storms that we might weather when headwinds start to face. Lord, I pray that there are those today that are facing uh, strong headwinds in one way or another, I pray that you would, that you would come out and, and meet them in the midst of the storm, that they would see your hand uh, reach out to them, Lord, and that they would be willing and able to see your help and ask you to save them. Lord, we pray that you would do these things and so much more. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad. 